I don't have much time. I'm being hunted down by, I'm not sure what group, but it's either the Greys, the Draconians, the Nazis, or possibly time-traveling vacationers. I was searching for a way to, to tap into the hidden strengths that all humans have, and I, I discovered the darkest, most hidden secret since Mr. Brown revealed that Jesus' descendants are French. You see, they hid it inside our brains, and it never showed up because they've got control of every x-ray machine, nuclear gamma camera, and MRI machine manufacturer. They've ensured that it never shows up on our scans. But I was using a new technique, never before used, and there it was, right there in the frontal lobe, a mind control chip. I had to kill my test subject to extract it. It took on the appearance of a gray, mushy pellet, but, but I knew what it was. I began to look for it in my other test subjects. Not everyone had it, but I, but I found two others that did. I began monitoring those two for signs of abnormal behavior. I noticed that they both frequently drink beer and shout obscenities. But then my neighbor noticed the smell of my first test subject rotting in my garage. I can't believe I forgot to get rid of the body. And now the police are after me, but, but it's not about the corpse. It's about the chips. I tried to develop some special sunglasses to show who was mind-controlled. You know, like from that movie, They Live. But the guy at LensCrafters told me it would take more than an hour. He must be in on it. So they've gotten to the optometrist, too. So now I'm on the run and searching for others that know this deadly secret. Oh my, oh my, oh my god, I didn't check myself. My thoughts are not my own. Then why am I telling you this? They must want you to know. I, I gotta get out of here. Ah, mind control. A fascinating topic to discuss, as long as your thoughts haven't been compromised by various covert government operations or uh, alligator-headed aliens. Historians of the future will probably show us that mind control is believed to be used by societies as old as the ancient Sumerians. Since its inception, it has been an effective tool to force the assassination of political figures, force government funding for secret projects, force officials to vote specific ways on political issues, force scientists to refute various claims, and force that fifth dentist from recommending dentine, the latter done in an effort to counteract the powerful mind control effects of Retson. So what is mind control? It can be defined as a lot of things, such as brainwashing, behavior modification, suppression of memories, or even hypnotherapy. But what I want to discuss is the direct manipulation of someone's thoughts. I mean, that's the really interesting stuff, right? Do many people dispute conventional brainwashing, where you isolate someone's environment and control what information they receive to make them think a certain way? Nah, we know that's possible. You can do it with your child right now. Just tell your child consistent lies and never let them hear opposing viewpoints. They'll believe you. Behavior modification is a well-known psychological treatment to, uh, well, change someone's behavior. But these techniques require large quantities of time and are still prone to failure. They also tend to require the initial willingness of the individual being controlled. I'm sure there were several people that hung around Charles Manson and his group, but early on just walked away thinking, what a bunch of weirdos. They weren't willing participants. Real mind control means that not only does the subject not desire to do your bidding, but it's completely helpless to your whims. That's what I'm talking about. So if I want to compel my friend Jake to clean my gutters, how would I go about this? For the sake of discussion, let's ignore the cost factor for now. Let's see, uh, certain chemicals might do the job. Genetic manipulation? What about radiation or electromagnetic fields? Telepathy? The everlasting microchip implanted in Jake's brain? How about a warm glass of milk and a frontal lobotomy? Hire the bug-eyed alien equivalent of the Godfather to use their advanced mind control technology in exchange for a future favor? Threatening Jake's wife and daughter by injecting them with snake venom and only promising to yield the antidote after my gutters are clean? Or pay Jake $150.
These are all fine ideas, each better than the last, and assuredly will result in a reduction of leaves from my aluminum rain containment system. But before we discuss those, let's try a little experiment. I'm going to say some words, and you pay attention to what mental image pops into your mind. Ready? Okay. Train. Building. Garbage. Okay, that's enough. Now, when I said train, did you picture an 1800s, ooh, wished locomotive, or a Chicago L train? Did you picture a toy train, or a European bullet train? Train is also a verb. Did you picture instructing a dog to urinate outside, or, or possibly showing a coworker how to use a copier machine? What about building? Did you picture where you work? Did you picture a warehouse? A skyscraper? Your home? Your school's gymnasium? A small boathouse? Building is also a verb. So did you picture someone in the act of construction? Were they building a real house, or was it a child working with some set of Lincoln's fabulous logs? Last one. Garbage. Did you picture a single black bag of trash? A landfill? A barge with trash on it? A silver-colored metal trash can? A kitchen trash can? There's also a band called Garbage featuring Shirley Manson on vocals. No relation to Charles or Marilyn. So did you picture Shirley or one of their album covers? Or maybe even a mental image of one of their songs? I'll bet that my mental image of those words is not the same as yours. Okay. Now let's shift gears yet again and talk about something guaranteed to excite sagacious nerds across the globe. Computers! Or more specifically, computer memory! The year? Sometime in the 1930s and 40s. The place? Germany. The world credits Conrad Zeus with the creation of the first binary computer. What's binary, you say? Binary is a way for computers to store information by turning it into either on-off state. This allows the computer to represent any type of information from text, pictures, music, video, or even needlessly embellished PowerPoint presentations. The binary is then interpreted as numbers. Everything a computer does is internally just a series of numbers. Even letters and pictures are treated as numbers. A capital A is depicted as the number 65. Capital B is 66 and so on. Later the internet was developed... All that means is that computers simply store everything as a series of numbers. Try this. If you're using Windows, open Notepad. If you're on a Mac, Open text edit, and if you're in Linux, use VI. Anyway, open up one of those programs, and then use it to open up this MP3 file that you're listening to right now. Go on. I'll wait. Actually, I really won't. You're going to see a bunch of crap if you don't get some error. You're looking at a textual representation of the data used to create MP3s. You've told your computer to interpret that file as a text file. The opposite probably won't work. A text file opened as an MP3, but that's because your text probably won't adhere to certain standards that your MP3 player is looking for. But anyway, what does an MP3 and a mental picture of garbage have to do with each other, aside from the obvious song, Drive You Home? And more importantly, what does this have to do with mind control? One word. Interpretation. Let's say I want to force you to purchase a new pair of shoes by directly controlling your mind. The act of shoe purchasing is something we're all familiar with, I assume. Now remember, this is mind control, not just telling someone to do something. So for mind control, I have to directly make you buy new footwear. Well, how do I do that? Do I send you an image of a pair of Nikes, a cash register, and your credit card? Maybe include a picture of Al Bundy? What strange hold do you have over the boy? Is that going to make you acquire new moccasins? I'd have to send whatever signals are sent when you truly decide to do something. The mental equivalent to... I'm going to do it. I'm going to buy those tan loafers. 
Now, I just said mental equivalent. So, what is that? What signals in your head make you buy shoes? To control your mind, I have to know what it is you think of when you're going to buy shoes. Now, I have my image in my head, but giving you my image won't make you procure things. Why not? Because your image isn't the same as mine. Just as my image of garbage is a black plastic trash bag on a curb, and yours may be an old-fashioned metal trash can. I can study the human mind and understand which physical neurons are used for what actions, but does that mean I know what you're thinking or how you picture the act of shoe purchasing? That's a completely different step I have to take. It's the same as being able to see that a file on a computer is a bunch of ones and zeros, but until I know what application opens it and how it uses it, I can't really interpret that file. It could be a sound file, or a movie file, or even a Word document. Now, I could monitor your neurons and determine which ones fire when you do something. But to understand what your mental image is, is a completely different issue. And to make you do something by controlling your mind, I have to know what language your mind speaks. And the tricky thing is that all of our minds speak differently. If not, we'd all think of a black plastic trash bag when the word garbage was mentioned. I'll even go further to state that context plays a role in our mental image. If we're talking about music and you mention garbage, I'll definitely think of the band and not the bag. I'm not saying mind control can't be done. I'm just pointing out one difficulty that may have to be overcome before you can control people. But couldn't I just map the neurons that fire when you do an action and then force them to be played back? This would be sort of like not knowing how to play an instrument, but I can record someone else playing it and then play it back. Yes, I'll conceive this is possible. But how useful would mind control be if you can only make someone do something they've already done? And second, I don't know about you, but, but I can buy shoes and think of how badly that movie I just saw sucked, as well as notice there's a blister on my foot and realize that I'm hungry all at the same time. Wow! So if you record me and play it back, you're going to get a lot of other things too. Things that may interfere with making me carry out your commands, especially if I suddenly notice that I don't really have that blister that I think I do. But let's say I recognize that the brain is complex and sending mental images is too difficult. So I'm just going to force neurons to fire to physically make you buy shoes. I'm not worried about what you're thinking. I'm just going to focus on what neurons are being fired to make you walk, aim a gun, or whatever. And buying shoes is actually a complex action, I mean, at least from a mental standpoint. Excluding all the minutia, it's drive to the store, find a pair of shoes that fits and matches my outfit, take them to the register, pay for them. Those are the high-level things, and exclude all the issues with how do you walk, drive, pull money out of your wallet. You don't even consciously think of those, but your brain does them. So if, if you want to directly fire someone's neurons, that's almost as complex as sending them the appropriate mental images. If nothing else, you're going to have to spend a lot of time watching their brain so you can actually map what triggers each action. That's a lot of actions you're going to have to track, store, and then force them to do. But those would be the physical ways I could make you follow my orders. What about other ways? Two things pop to mind. Telepathy and magic, in all of its forms. I will bow to these by simply stating that I really can't disprove these. If you believe in them, then they fall under the realm of something that can always escape explanation. Magic can do it because you say it can. These have to be experimentally disproved, and no amount of logic can be applied to them to disprove them. Now at this point, I'm not really saying there's no such thing as mind control. I just want to make it clear what types of problems any type of mind control will have to solve. To do so using technology requires considerable knowledge of not just the human brain, but the brain of the individual you want to control. 
So let's go back to that list of ways to control someone's mind. So what up, chemicals? Yes, it's true that various drugs and concoctions can alter your state of consciousness and could make you open a suggestion. They can especially change your mood, making you run the gamut from happy, sad, lethargic, enraged, and even suicidal. But those are moods, and inducing a mood isn't controlling someone's mind. In your quest for an assassin, you may make this lady you found on a subway unbelievably happy, hoping she'll be more cooperative, but suddenly all she wants to do is dance and make romance. You failed to get her to kill the guy who does the voice of Barney. Hey, kids! <laughs> oh, I've been shot! That's mood induction. But have you ever heard of any chemical, legal or not, that makes you do specific things? I mean, it's one thing to give you the munchies and make you bored, but to be useful, mind control via drugs would mean they'd have to make you want to do specific things, like supply you with the uncontrollable urge to drop your pants at Taco Bell. But that's just one task. You'd need one to make you kill specific people or persons. One to make you vote a certain way. One to make you lie about certain things, but not all things. One to make you go to the right place at the right time. You'd have to give someone a chemical cocktail and hope it gets carried out in the right order. No! He committed suicide before he shot the target! Our plan is ruined! I mean, you could have a device that injects someone with the right compound at the right time, but man, is that a pain! Wouldn't someone need to monitor you, your location, and your surroundings to ensure they didn't command you to detonate the bomb strapped to your chest when the dignitary target is stuck in traffic eight miles away? That's if chemicals could make you do specific actions. Chemicals are too general for those things, and if they weren't, imagine the time and cost to research, discover, and stockpile all the compounds meant to make you do each of the various tasks. Well, I said chemicals can make you open a suggestion. Some can already make you paranoid, so you could administer it to someone and then lie to them about some conspiracy getting them on your side, and then inform them that the only way to stop the neo-Nazis is to purchase a pair of all-star canvas high-tops at Payless. Remember, I was originally trying to get someone to buy some shoes. Now, I could see this working, the chemical thing, not the high-top thing. However, the person would be very much aware of what you've told them. It's not covert. Now, that may not be a problem if you're just too embarrassed to purchase All-Stars in the year 2007. But I wouldn't really call that mind control. You had to inject someone with something, then tell them a story, and hope the paranoia they feel doesn't overwhelm them so much that they can follow through with your task. But what about, say, really susceptible to suggestion, like, like hypnosis? <sighs> Once again, I'm going to say something that could be disputed, so, so you should consider that I'm a lying bastard, which is the general feeling I get from my friends anyway. But I know how to hypnotize people. I've done it to several people. It's a trick. The person knows what is going on the entire time. You cannot make someone who's hypnotized do something they don't want to do. I know. I've tried. Now, many audience members in hypnosis shows will give in and do things they wouldn't normally do, but that's more about lowering their inhibitions, and it's all in fun. But you're not going to get them to kill someone or get a priest to publicly proclaim that he was born out of Satan's ass. Unless the person wanted to do those things anyway, and was maybe just shy. So if chemically induced suggestions work anything like hypnosis, they would only be affected if you wanted your friend to pretend he's a chicken, or a famous historical figure. Look at me, I'm Harriet Tubman. In addition, chemicals wear off. Unless you were to meet John Wilkes Booth at the Peterson House Cafe across the street from Ford's Theater that afternoon, and then injected him... 
the compound might wear off before the first act, and Lincoln would be alive today. For long-term mind control, someone has to keep secretly injecting you with chemicals, possibly pouring it into your orange juice in the morning or just spiking your water supply. But how is doping your ass up all day going to control your mind? If it's to make you open a suggestion, then you'll be open to anyone's suggestion. The mailman, a damn ad for $130 weight loss pills, and then become even more paranoid as you become convinced intolerably happy children really are expending great effort to inhibit your eating of the breakfast cereal of your choice. These are my lucky charms! I paid for them! Let go! Chemicals just don't seem like an effective way to control someone's mind, but, but I will concede they afford some rudimentary persuasive techniques. So what's next on my list of mind control techniques? Genetic manipulation? Ah, yes, very interesting, this one. The idea is that by altering DNA, you could force your boss to add 14% to your toner budget. Now, I believe there are some personality traits that are embedded in our genes. But I think those are personality traits, not specific actions. You could argue that we don't know enough about DNA to know whether it affects our actions. Sure. But we do know altering DNA is a seriously tedious process. So does it matter if you just introduce a few plasma cells with the new DNA? Or do you have to alter every cell in the body? Or maybe just every cell in the brain? If it's just a few cells, that's kind of scary. I mean, that means that if I were to play a violent game of Foursquare with you and we both became injured with splattered blood flying all across the aforementioned squares, not only do I have to worry about whatever venereal diseases you have from direct blood contact, but I may also start to act like you? And not just act like you, but start to do things like you do, like eat at lunch at Longhorn on Tuesdays and secretly watch chick flicks with a box of tissues. Wow. Wouldn't it make more sense that you have to change DNA in the brain? But what if you were only capable of changing half of the cells? Would the victim become horribly indecisive? Do I go to work early or stay home and conceal the identity of the elevator killer? But the real practical problem with this is actually changing someone's DNA. We don't have the technology to do this on a large scale. If you could do that, millions of Negroes around the world would praise your name as you just cured sickle cell disease, which is a fairly well understood genetic disorder. So maybe this is what happened 20 years ago in a lab at Glaxo Welcome. Yarr, I've done it. I've managed to alter an entire person's DNA. No one will ever suffer from Down syndrome again. I'll be considered the greatest pirate scientist this side of the Pacific. Arr, yarr. Sound of conspiratorial materialistic co-worker whacking discoverer over the head with a beaker of synovial fluid. The dull thump often heard as a scientist's body hits the floor. Sounds of paper being hurriedly gathered followed by footsteps and the slamming of a creaking metal door as the secret to numerous diseases is put into the hands of a man that only wants to use this for mind control. Only he knows the secret now, and that secret dies with him. Instead of informing others of the work, he'll create a secret manufacturing facility in Lower Panama that alters DNA for government assassinations and panda bear mating. Even if you really wanted to use DNA for mind control, which presents the technical hurdle of figuring out how someone's DNA makes them vote against Proposition 204, prohibiting the use of horse urine to extinguish a flaming beaver dam, you'd think someone involved would realize that the cure for so many diseases is in their hands, and that if nothing else, selling it would make them millionaires and give them more prestige than being a mind-control technician in Lower Panama. Alas, these are the troubles of dioxyribonucleic acid. So what's next? Radiation and or electromagnetic fields. 
I mix them together even though they're different, but I tend to see them listed together for some reason, so I follow suit, but not Thai. Short and sweet here. These affect widespread regions. They could be focused on your brain, but how does washing someone with a wave or field cause them to respond to your every wish? To me, this has the same problem with chemicals, only worse. Chemicals can bond with specific types of cells. Waves and fields just affect everything in their path. So how is exposing someone to, say, alpha waves going to make them suddenly have a desire to attack Generalissimo Montoya? Again, go back to the issues with having to understand how the brain works. I could see these affecting your mood, but that's not mind control. I already mentioned that telepathy and magic are out of bounds of my discussion. I mean, you might as well say that you read a book and were forced to assign a designation to a 12-year-old tiara-wearing hussy while making wishes from a glowing grain of sand. I mean, their very nature lies outside of logic and reason at this point in time, and it's beyond the scope of this discussion. So, next. The most famous mind control of all. The old gray matter chip. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten out of jury duty by claiming that I've got a piece of silicon in me skull that makes me violently angry when I hear the word bailiff or plywood. The idea here is that a tiny computer is surgically implanted in your head and controls your thoughts. Now, if you can remember mere moments ago, I was extolling the difficulties of direct mind control. This is where said difficulties really come into play. In order for this to work, we've got to know a hell of a lot about the mind of the controlee so you know what types of signals to send to their brain. Okay, when you hear mind control chips, you might think of various magnified images from the 80s of fingers with tiny black specks on them showing just how small a CPU can be. Yep, it's true. We can make some small chips. And while extremely small and extremely expensive memory can be made for this chip, there's two things missing from that image if it's to be a mind control chip. A power supply and I.O., or inputs and outputs. Computers don't run off of cerebrospinal fluid. Trust me, Intel has been working on a cerebrospinal fluid computer for years. This thing is going to require a battery. The pacemaker industry has already created some small, long-term batteries, but they are not as small as a CPU. So adding the battery is seriously going to increase the size of this chip. Now, you could develop a, a long, flat, curved battery, kind of like a little mini banana that would might tuck neatly just inside your head between your skull and brain. But now you're talking about something that will easily show up on an x-ray. I know, I know, I know that the companies that make x-ray machines, nuclear gamma cameras, and MRI machines are all in on it, as well as all of their employees, including engineers and repairmen. And apparently so are the coroners and the pathologists of the world, because they haven't reported finding a chip in the head of any dead people during an autopsy. Or maybe this device manages to self-destruct when you die. And by self-destruct, I mean converting from a solid to a liquid or vapor. I think even the most incompetent autopsy technician would notice battery shrapnel inside your skull if the device simply blows up. In order for any computer to do anything useful, it has to have inputs. And in order for it to control things, it has to have outputs. So whatever mechanism this chip is going to use to make you suddenly crave a smoked ham sandwich going to take up even more space for its I.O. This chip is just getting bigger. And for any viewers of the now-defunct Farscape out there, you may recall that the main character Crichton had a chip in his head. And this chip had long tendrils that completely wrapped around and presumably went inside his brain. I think to do useful things, a real chip would have to compromise your mind extensively, just like the one inside Crichton. Various activities are controlled by different parts of your brain. 
if you didn't connect it throughout, it might just make you all talk and no action as you go around telling everybody you're going to kill the president, but you never actually follow through. Remember that different physical parts of the brain have different functions, and you probably need to control them all. And hey, all that extra I.O. is going to require even more energy. Maybe it'll just have an atomic battery on it. And what about the entire body rejecting this device? I believe pacemakers are often encased in titanium due to its inertness with the human immune system. Again, that's going to show up on an x-ray like the word orange in a Dr. Seuss story. Why all this talk of x-rays? Well, if you're concerned you have a chip in your head, get an x-ray! It should show up clearly. Unless they've gotten to all the doctors in the world and your doctor secretly switches your x-ray with the one of Ms. Bloznowski. Now these issues with a single chip also apply to nanomachines that might be injected into your bloodstream. These are incredibly tiny machines made up of just molecules, just individual molecules put together to make up a machine, sometimes called nanites. Furthermore, if you're going to make nanites, now they have the task of trying to determine where in the body they are. For a nanite trying to reach a specific part of your body, or more probably a specific cell or even neuron, that would be like us being somewhere in Antarctica and trying to find the Ross ice shelf. It's just snow everywhere you look. To a nanite, one blood vessel looks very much like another close up. Okay, okay, okay. I've been dancing around the obvious. Of course, we would have problems if we made a mind control chip. That's why the lizard men of Melonia 5 use cheap immigrant laborers from Aldebra to create ultra high tech chips beyond what we mere humans could devise. Here again, I'm going to cop out, as this is similar to telepathy and magic. I'm sure I'll have a discussion on aliens or the Amagosa cluster in the future. But for now, all I can say is at this point, saying aliens did it is the equivalent to saying God did it. You're appealing to a higher power that is not bound by the limits of our knowledge. Basically, anything I say, you'll just say, Nuh-uh, aliens can do that. They got computers that can read our minds from like a billion light years away. And this one time, the aliens even made me invisible inside their spaceship, and I got to see the bathroom on their spaceship, and then they dropped me off from their spaceship, and I went home, but they said they'd come back again someday. I can't combat the alien mind control argument. Too many unknowns that even those who believe in it don't know. I mean, how do you argue with someone that says, I don't know anything about it, but it works and can't be measured or detected? You have nothing to argue against because the aliens know more than we do and can cloak themselves better than an available associate at Home Depot. All this boils down to one thing. There are easier and simpler ways to get things done than trying to control someone's mind. Sure, there could be some advances in technology that might be able to work. But you're not talking about a few years of development by a couple of researchers. There are major hurdles to overcome. Hurdles that, if we overcame, would yield far more useful and lucrative applications than mind control. Some farmer in the 1700s may have envisioned a way to plow a field that didn't involve walking behind a temperamental horse while balancing a harrow. A mechanical device that would always do what a human directed it to do and didn't require rest. Something that would be stronger and faster. When the technology was devised for the tractor, so was the technology for the passenger car, the motorboat, power for running sawmills and grain mills and hundreds of other things. I cannot fathom a person that is so evil he or she wants to force people to do his or her bidding and chooses to conceal a great discovery, and yet this person wouldn't want to simply cash in on the greatness of said discovery. It would buy them both fame and fortune. I mean, why be powerful when you have to work at it when you can be powerful without the effort? 
Why conceal technology and information that could be used in so many other ways and make much more profit than whatever conspiracy you're trying to manage? I'm trying to say that the technology for true mind control does not currently exist yet. It would require too many people to develop and maintain, and at least one of them would realize they could make more by selling this information for other purposes. If it existed. But if it existed, why even use mind control? We already have a system in place for getting things done the way you want. It's called a hiring policy. Money can be exchanged for goods and services. Mind control is certainly complex and wouldn't be cheap. Especially if you're talking brain chips. You gotta hire surgeons to implant them, thugs to forcibly take the subject to the surgeon and then later transplant the subject back into their normal life. The surgeon probably needs some nurses. I mean, this is brain surgery. We've got to rent out an appropriate clean room for the operation, and we'll need access to the appropriate medical tools. And I'm not even going to mention the idea that implanting something in someone that left no visible scars and caused no pain afterwards would completely revolutionize the medical industry. Well, I guess I just did mention it. If you're spiking someone's water supply with drugs, you've got to have a lab and technicians that make the drugs. You've also got to hire a plumber to install a device to deliver the constant steady stream of said drugs to your subject. And this device will probably need to be periodically refilled. Either that or you hire somebody in their house to secretly spike their beverages. Mind control will cost a lot of money and require that many people be involved. Wouldn't it just be easier and cheaper just to bribe the person? And if that doesn't work, threaten them? For the price of a surgeon and thugs alone, you yourself could bribe a guy. Or at the very least, do that snake venom thing I mentioned earlier. The mob has been successfully doing this for decades. It's a proven technique to get what you want. You bribe and or threaten. Cheap, effective. The only thing mind control buys you is the controlled individual wouldn't know they were being controlled. And presumably, you wouldn't have to worry about them turning on you. But now, you've got to worry about that team of people that you had to hire turning on you. I can see the benefits to mind control, but do they outweigh the costs? Not with the current technology. Give it a few decades, maybe it will. Wow, you're, you're probably thinking I took that way too seriously. Eh, not, not really. I don't really think mind control exists, but, but I wanted to explore it more fully to show that it's considerably more than just drugging someone or having a chip injected in your head via a hypospray. I'll end this with a quote from Confucius because it's more important when someone else says it than me. And I'm not going to say it in a Chinese voice because that would probably be pretty insulting. Life is really simple, but we insist on making it complicated. Hang on, hang on. Before I go, I need to apologize for something and then mention a few things. First, the apology. It turns out that my most controversial episode has been the one on homeschooling. Wow, did I piss some people off with that. I really had two points. Diversity is good. Believing you can protect your child from the world is bad. I actually know several people who homeschool because they don't want to expose their children to differing viewpoints, and they feel that they can protect their children. Their homeschooling consists of an untrained mother teaching the child at the kitchen table. That's it. Now, I acknowledged that that's not what everyone does, and there are other reasons for homeschooling. But only briefly. As a result, I got some angry emails from homeschooling parents about the lengths they go through to ensure their child does have diversity, and that they understand they can't protect their child. Many parents do more of what I would probably call community schooling, where several children are taught by multiple trained instructors who just don't work for a school. 
They meet with other children in this environment, or in sports, or in other activities. Many parents stated that their child isn't even taught at their home, but they go to several other homes during the week with other children. What I found interesting is I don't recall anyone saying, diversity is a bad thing and yes, I can so protect my child. So at its essence, we really weren't disagreeing. But what one very considerate listener pointed out is that I came across as dogging homeschooling in general and furthering the stereotype that all homeschooling parents are overprotective hermits. So, I'm not apologizing for what I said as much as what I didn't say. I should have put more emphasis on the fact that I do believe most homeschooling parents do understand the issues and do make great efforts to compensate. Many parents have to make great sacrifices in order to compensate to ensure their child is exposed to a diverse environment. And so, I say, I'm sorry for furthering an inaccurate stereotype. It was never my intention to imply that. I was not disparaging homeschooling. I was disparaging when people who do homeschool don't expose their children to the real world. Let me make an analogy. I used to be friends with some bikers who hated to wear helmets. If I made a case of why bikers should wear helmets, I'm not trying to imply that most bikers don't want to wear them. I'm just targeting the bikers who dislike helmets. The same is true for the homeschooling episode. I was only targeting those people that do believe in shielding their children, And unfortunately, I came across sounding like I thought that was the norm, which is incorrect. Okay, now into something less tense. I released the last episode on December 9th. For some reason, it wasn't showing up on iTunes until December 12th or 13th or something, even though it was available on the website. Now, I hope this episode doesn't have any problems, but if you do have any problems, please let me know. I also plan to release this on the 6th of January, so if you're not seeing this until much later, let me know because something went wrong. Lastly, the thing I hear most often is how listeners wish I could release episodes more often. I wish I could, but I have some semblance of a life to maintain, as well as these episodes take me a surprising amount of time to complete. I'm going as fast as I can until I win the lottery and can quit my day job. Sorry I can't get these out any faster. Happy New Year to all those utilizing the Gregorian calendar, and thanks everyone for listening. I really appreciate it. Well, P.S., don't forget to check out the About the Host episode I just posted the other day. Visit our website at logicallycritical.com. Send feedback to podcast at logicallycritical.com. 